podcast talking all things health technology and NHS IT. Welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the uh, latest episode of Digital Health Unplugged. I'm your host Jordan Soloff, news reporter at Digital Health and today we're going to be focusing on women in digital healthcare leadership and giving you a bit of a sneak preview of a session taking place later this month at summer schools in Birmingham which is called Shaping the Future Women in Digital Healthcare Leadership. Joining me today I'm pleased to say uh, two of the fantastic speakers will be speaking in that session I just alluded to in a couple of weeks time. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves so if you could tell our listeners a little bit about kind of who you are, what you do and just a little bit about yourself. Um, start with you please Sylvia. Hi, I'm Sylvia Stevenson. I'm Head of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Integrated Care 24. And I specialise in transforming diversity challenges into business opportunities. Great. And Leah? Hi there, I'm Leah Alley. I'm a consultant psychiatrist in South London. I work for the South London and Maudsley NHS Trust and I'm a healthcare and design advisor in the NHS Transformation Directorate of NHS England. And I've worked for quite a long time um, on multiple levels in industry, national policy and frontline in the NHS on uh, digital health and innovation models, particularly using a holistic approach and uh, a design-led approach. Brilliant. Thank you both for taking the time to come on the podcast. Um, let's get straight into it then. Obviously, when it comes to kind of women attaining leadership positions, there's obviously a lot of challenges there. Um, so I just kind of wanted to find out from you what are some of the key challenges you think in women kind of attaining those leadership positions in digital healthcare um, and alluding to kind of certain diverse groups as well. I think there are quite a few challenges, some of which I've definitely faced faced myself. One of the biggest ones, um, I think, is just about understanding the way the system operates and having to uh, know that there are kind of legacy issues for women and particularly for women of colour, actually. So we already know that there are issues around the number of women and women of colour in leadership positions across the healthcare system. Um, and that includes both in the public sector and, and in industry. Uh, it is both. Um, and certainly I have come across some of those barriers within my own career and have often relied on the digital health networks to be able to find my way through and, and, and to deal with that. And the second piece, which comes less externally and more internally, actually, is understanding what my own barriers are and understanding what my own kind of um, unconscious barriers are. So I, I've done quite a lot of work in recent years with a uh, a coach who works with women of colour, Rashmi Narayana, who's really hugely helped me to understand that. Things like that, I hope some listeners will, will um, recognise, things like keeping your head below the parapet because it's kind of a, a big deal if you put your head you say something maybe you say something controversial or you're challenging particularly people in authority it can feel like the stakes are really high and you tend to develop defense mechanisms ways of dealing with that that actually might um, curtail your ability to progress in a particular career route yeah, I I certainly um, agree with what you said, Leah, and um, similar to what you've just said, two things that stand out for me. I think there are seasons in everyone's lives, but particularly in women's lives, where we have to step forward or be called forward. And I think uh, um, women of colour, I think stepping forward has been a real challenge. 
um, because in focusing on gender disparity, uh, which is what people have, we've been looked, seeing the gender pay gap and, and the differences between um, um, gender equality for a long time. But what's been missing from that has been the intersectional, the different identities that women play. So it's not just about whether we get diversity in leadership, female leadership from a cultural perspective, but what about all of the other um, identities that women face? For example, um, being a black woman um, in digital healthcare, I will have different needs. Um, it's not just about me being a female, it's about some of my cultural needs, um, some of the information that's missing if you like, from research that doesn't play to my needs. So I think looking at gender alone has been a mistake. We need to look at the whole woman. That's the first thing. And I think the second thing has been really about menopause in particular and that generational change that comes to women that I'm um, my experience and in a lot of my networks, I see women stepping back because they feel that they're not going to be uh, given the same opportunities, the infrastructure, the work system doesn't support them enough. And because of the changes going through, whether that be physical, mental, um, even spiritual changes that take place um, at, at sort of the menopause stage, we find really good talent stepping back and thinking that they they, they can't be a part of, of leadership moving forward, which I think is a real shame. And that's something that needs to be brought to the forefront. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you both. Um, and to kind of combat some of the challenges, I guess, could you both share some examples of some innovative approaches that women have brought to digital healthcare leadership? So when I was thinking about it, I was definitely thinking about two things that came about from Birmingham Social Services, actually, um, um, where I've worked previously. And it's to do with person-centred care. I think women have played a really big part in breaking some of the traditional ways of managing care packages um, for patients where it's really been about the process and it's been about the policies. I think female leaders, especially back in the 90s, have brought in this person-centred care where um, women have been uh, demonstrative in inviting patients to be a part of their care package. Um, and I don't want to sound too, too gender gender biased when I say it's about nurturing, but really thinking about that patient and not looking at it just as a package. I think women have been very, very good at, at, at leading the way and, and bringing to the forefront um, person-centred planning. I think the other thing as well um, is going back to the highlights of menopause, um, highlighting the fact of uh, breaking the traditional norms of taboo. We can't talk about periods, we can't talk about menopause, we can't talk about all of these different things, and really beginning to shine a light on the importance of uh, healthcare for women and even in the digital space looking at some of the um the ai some of the research that didn't exist prior to it's females that have stepped forward and said we've got to talk about this break the generational silence and really bring to the forefront some of the challenges that women are facing again i think there's a lot more to be done through a diverse lens and to bring more diversity of thought. But I think those are the two areas, person-centred um, care packages and also looking at menopause um, through the digital diverse lens. 
I really like that, Sylvia. And I think one of the themes that comes through um, from what you've been saying that that I think about it, and I think about it in terms of particular individuals that I've worked for, worked yeah. with, is um, a real bravery to be able to um, challenge models or assumptions about the way things should work in innovation generally, but particularly for me, obviously, in digital health. So, for example, um, when I start, first started working at NHSX, I was working for Lisa Hollins and Yinka McKindy was in that team as well. And they were leading on some incredible work uh, around equality and diversity within the team. And what was really interesting was that that work within looking at the team culture then reflected in our work that we were doing around digital innovation nationally. And I think the bravery to be able to say this is important and it, it is important to recognise the experiences of the team and and there were some really difficult conversations I, mm. I i loved working in that team because everybody of all colors all genders really stepped up and had some difficult conversations it, people it was a safe place for people yeah. to, to to challenge things um, mm. and it's not you know that that's my first experience really of working in a team where where that that was the that was the way that it was encouraged that you talk um that had really big impacts and I think also for me, there are other people like uh, my, the person I'm currently line managed by, Helen Ballston, who's the interim national chief nursing innovation officer. Um, just it's such a breath of fresh air being supervised by someone like Helen, because um, we are able to connect on what is our, our value base around the work that we're trying to do. Um, and and that it's really important that that goes across professional silos um, and across various different types of divide that can that can exist. And, and for me, that's really important that brings that approach. It allows for things like bringing in more patient centred care. It, al it allows for thinking about doing innovation in a constrained environment and yeah. understanding what the real challenges are at, at the mm. front line. Um, and the other person that um, uh, that that I would like to bring up, but although there'll be many more when we come to summer yeah. school, um, yeah. is Geraldine Strathdee. So Geraldine was the National Clinical Director for Mental Health and does hold many other senior positions across the health system. And I can remember being um, very junior, just starting, I was a registrar in psychiatry and starting in my digital health work in patient health records, actually. And Geraldine was somebody who took the time to I just I just responded to a call that she put out saying is anyone doing anything interesting in this space and I just said yeah we are we're doing this and it was quite nerve-wracking to do that with somebody who is a senior as that but she literally came down to the little basement office where we were working where we definitely had cockroaches and <laughs> um, and she was just willing to hear we're doing stuff that is having an impact on patients and that kind of leadership is so so important and 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 I I I personally don't care whether they're women or not I've had that kind of leadership from men too but it mm. is so important that those those examples of those women who bring that to their leadership yes. show that it can be done because that inspires others yeah and just just building on what you said about the bravery um my experience of some of the women that I have experienced in in digital so my background um prior to coming to the nhs is global technology so i've been global change and transformational cultural change and diversity equity and inclusion um for 18 years and um i've seen two types of female leaders i've seen the types where actually because you are the only one um and it's taken me a long time to get to this position 
I'm not going to rock the boat for fear of of me of 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 being you know compromised or it comes back in my career and I think that's probably one of the challenges that female leaders will face especially of color where you are the only one and so then having to speak up and to be brave and to be disruptive in a positive way I think takes a lot of courage and what I have seen and I'm seeing is that when people of color and they're the only ones at that board table at that senior level they won't disrupt they will conform. Um, and that's something that I think is interesting to look at. I've coached a couple of, of leaders um, in sort of stepping out. And the second thing that I saw, not so much in healthcare, but certainly in, in the sort of global um, technology, was that women changed and morphed into other other versions of themselves to cope in a, in, in a male-driven world. We know that technology, research, science, maths, the STEM careers were dominated by men. They were seen as men professions. And so you see these really great women. They come with good intentions. Check them out in 18 months and they, they are hard as nails and they wouldn't reach back and bring um, a successor up or nurture any any women um, that are coming up through the pipeline because they felt they had to act. So I think in this day and age where we're seeing a lot more focus on diversity, women are being brave and they are stepping forward, but it's still a way to go. Women need to be brave and to have courage, but it's not always easy, especially when you go up the ladder and there's lack of diversity at the top. And Lee, you touched on this earlier about the impact of the digital health networks. What role does kind of those networks and professional communities, um, so just kind of our advisory panels and of course the Shuri network, um, what role do they play in kind of encouraging and empowering women in digital healthcare leadership? Uh, it's been hugely important for me, as I said. So, so I've just been re-elected to the CCI advisory panel again, which I'm delighted about. And thank mm. everyone for their support. Um, and through and the reason, one of the main reasons I wanted to stand again was because throughout my career, particularly early on, when I was experiencing barriers that I was barely aware of at the time, it was people, individuals that I met through the digital health networks that encouraged me, that helped me answer practical questions about digital projects I was working on, signposted me to others or to or, or specific pieces of work. I, I don't think all of them necessarily even know how important they were, but that connected collective knowledge and wisdom that exists in the digital health network was hugely important to allowing me to keep being purpose driven about whatever it was I was working on at the, at the time. And then also at the same time, you know, there's, there's, again, specific individuals that I can think of, Joe McDonald, James Reed, Jonathan Richardson, all of whom I met through the digital health networks, um, who, who just kind of could see that what I was trying to do made sense to them. They 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 didn't always necessarily not all of them necessarily understood what sort of barriers I faced, and that's been an interesting change in our relationship over time. J James Reed, I'm sure, would tell you about that. The way we have talked about that is that he ne wouldn't necessarily know the sorts of barriers that I'd had to face. He was always really surprised, but always willing to listen and mm -hmm. to learn from that in terms of what he could do to help move that on, and then thinking about that for other people that come into his into his sphere. Um, so I think there's kind of that individual focus and then that collective network, that collective knowledge, knowing that you don't need to have access to uh, 
certain meetings or certain training pathways which you, you just might not get access to. Um, I'm somebody who's never had the, the right sort of sponsorship, for example, to go on the NHS Digital Academy. I was never in the legitimate position to do that. So it was through the digital health networks, actually, that I found my way to a different way of expanding my learning and understanding of, of digital and innovation. So they've been hugely, hugely important in, in all those different ways. Yeah, and, and I have found as a relative newcomer to the, the community networks that they are a font of uh, support and a font of knowledge for shared values. It's only when you go to these networks that you realise I'm not the only one experiencing this or I'm not the only one having these problems, especially when I think about diversity, which is my speciality, that majority of the networks will always come up with an emerging trend. For example, I could say that last year, the trends that I was seeing across the community network was all around the fear of speaking out. Um, and so you can go into these um, these different networks and and hear people's lived experiences, which I think is really powerful. It's their personal story, but also get the shared values. What did you do or how did you overcome this in order to move forward? So for me, the community networks are a source of great knowledge and shared values and a support, especially for diversity practitioners, where it can be lonely. You can be out there on a limb sometimes because as much as people talk about, you know, this is really important, we don't always see it embedded in the day to day. We do our operations and then we do diversity and we do what we do on a daily basis and then, oh, we've got some time, we'll do that. So it can be a really lonely place, but joining the, the digital network and seeing some of the um, the strong diversity themes emerging for me has given me the confidence that I'm not alone and that there are people that are interested in and really determined and committed more than anything else to embedding diversity. We've just seen the latest NHS EDI plan, which I've been excited to see that at board level, they need to have a diversity initiative, a diversity objective, which for me is showing that now um, NHS is really going to take it to the next level. And I think that the manifestation of these, you know, really positive steps will come through the community networks. And Jordan, I think it's something that's been baked into the digital health networks right from the start. I mean, you know, in, in, again, in terms of individuals, John Hoxmer has been focused on this right from the start. Yeah. I can remember John inviting me as a very junior registrar to, I think, the first summer school ever, mm. um, which I actually couldn't attend because I had young children to look after. And actually, I didn't, mm. you know, so a, a good example of it's baked in, but the mechanisms weren't necessarily there mm. at the time to mm. allow someone like me to, to participate. In fact, the first um, the first one I went to was the virtual one. That was actually mm. the very first, even though I'd been very involved in networks in other ways. And I think that, but just having that baked in as an understanding that people need to be reached out of, I wouldn't necessarily have thought I would I could even be thought of as being invited yeah. or, or attending. Mm. But just even that mm. initial mm. invitation, even though I couldn't attend, then made me think, oh, actually, I can't go to that. But actually, if I go on the networks and I ask my questions in the forum and I and then people responded and I started to make connections there, it opened up doors for me, basically. Yeah. And the just the ICC, um, the latest uh, report from the from the cricket, um, from the 
the, the case with uh, the equality and, and the cricket commissions uh, talked about elitism and, and we, we, we still see that playing out today, access to the relevant um, resources and support that you need. And because to your point, you might not be in a certain position or be sponsored by a certain person or at a different or at a certain level, kind of means that you miss out. But I think that's where the community practices come in, that they really bridge that elitism for whatever reason the system structured like that and I'd like to see the the, the the profile of community networks rising because I think they're going to plug so many gaps that have been there for a long time. Great yeah thank you very much um, very nice thing said there about the kind of the power of the networks and that's another reason why summer schools is so great I think the networks coming together in person because you know we don't get many chances to get everyone in person together do we so we look forward to that in a couple of weeks. Um, Quite a big question next then kind of what advice would you give to aspiring women leaders in the digital healthcare field well i get asked this question quite a lot actually so quite <laughs> often i get i get people sent, <laughs> sent to me who are considering careers in digital and the first thing i say to them is sign up for the digital health network that's the first <laughs> thing i do um, and then i encourage them to just be brave reach out connect look for those be, be driven by your purpose. Normally people come because they are working on something specific. They don't necessarily, they they might think, oh, I'm a bit, it happens a bit more these days that people are saying I'm interested in digital or I'm interested in AI. Um, but usually my experience has been is that somebody is working on something and they have a specific question around clinical safety or regulation or something, you know, something, um, something, something technical. And I, and I think it's also people who don't necessarily think of themselves as digital to to consider that they should engage in these networks as enablers mm. for the type of thing they want to do. So I, I always talk about the change makers can come from anywhere. Mm. And it's really important that we as a, a as a digital health network, we do our best to make sure we are reaching out to those people because we do have the knowledge and the expertise to help enable those people to make the impacts that they want to on health and social care. Um, so I think it's really important that those who are who are knowing they want to make some kind of change i would say it doesn't it doesn't matter if you don't even think digital has any part of it there is going to be an aspect which requires digital as an enabler mm. and mm. the earlier you have that within the, your thinking the more likely you are to have a greater impact so engage, engage early and engage widely and be brave about it and 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 don't be afraid to just ask people for help yeah, I agree. And and what I say to um, females in particular that are thinking about digital is um, to have the courage to fulfil your purpose um, and that we're not required to boil the ocean or to solve world peace, but you are required to complete your lap. I always look at it as a lap. And if you complete your lap and you do it with the best of your ability and you stand over what you know, you have been called in this season to deliver and to hand over, then then you should be able to have that resilience. I think a lot of times, um, sometimes as women, they do look for that validation, that endorsement, and sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't, but they should still fulfill their purpose. I say in and out of season, when people are shouting about your work and, and supporting it and talking about it on social media, and when nobody, is 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 even interested or showing any remote you've been called to complete your lap complete it with courage and boldness so for me i tell them go in fulfill your purpose and complete your lap 
Brilliant, some fantastic advice there. Um, we touched this a little bit earlier, but of course we're focusing a lot on women in digital healthcare leadership, but in what ways can men kind of be allies and, and advocates for women in digital healthcare leadership? I've mentioned some of some of the men who's, who've been really important in offering me allyship and and what binds them all together is their willingness to listen um, and to listen actively. Um, and they quite often, you know, they'll, they'll have so much expertise and knowledge that they've been able to offer me. And then the, the other piece that then becomes important is is then that listening bit and understanding that my experience is different to their experience, even though we might be joined up on wanting the same mission or the same outcome for something. Um, and then being really open to thinking about how they can use their position and their level of privilege to actually open up ways for, for me to get things done. And I've I've been I've been extremely lucky to have that several times um, it, throughout throughout my career. And, I, and I've already mentioned some of those individuals. So I think sometimes some of the men I've spoken to and actually at summer school, I had a, a really interesting a few really interesting conversations, which is why you should come to summer schools. Um, it was uh, in the Shuri Network session, actually, in particular, I was thinking of where some of the men there were, were asking these sorts of questions and some people feeling quite sort of um, a bit kind of like they couldn't do anything like just because because they're a man they literally can't don't have anything to offer and the complete opposite is true it's completely the opposite there is so much and it doesn't have to be a defensive uh, you know defending yourself apologizing for whatever success that you might already have that's not the point the point is recognizing how you got to your position would be different for me getting to mine and and understanding those differences and that experiences and how we can work together because we are this is the best thing about digital health networks and summer school we are all lined up on the same ultimate yeah. value and, and and mission around improving health yeah and, and and i think building on from that um through the diversity lens we have uh, vilified men let's be honest um in the wake of social unrest and in the wake of pushing the gender assignment the gender pay gap the gender equality in the previous years we have vilified men white male and stale was a really sort of popular slogan and what we didn't remember was that um these men were still very much in leadership positions these men were still in the decision making seats and these men still had the wallets so we, we we come around a few years later and diversity efforts and strategies are no further forward because we've ostracized men. I think it's time for um, men to step forward and to be counted in this space and to, to your point, use their privilege and to believe and accept that there is inequality. Um, that's not on them but there is inequality stemmed against underserved, underrepresented people. And I think using their privilege and being intentional about never going through a year without having um, a, a mentee, a female mentee, um, really being intentional in doing something at their senior leadership level to understand how they can help women up the ladder and to see the value as well. It's, it shouldn't just be because it's a nice thing to do. We've got to stop that narrative. It's the right thing to do. Who cares if my team is great and my business is going well? 
I don't care whether it's the right thing to do. So we've got to look at it from a business perspective to say that women bring diversity of thought, that they can bring innovation and creativity. They can help organisations through leadership, make money, save money and achieve our organisational goals. But we've got to get around the table and men play a great part in making that happen. So for me, men can use their privilege and help women. Brilliant. Um... And of course, we're talking a lot about promoting kind of women in digital healthcare leadership. How do we ensure that kind of that progress is sustainable and long lasting and not something that kind of loses momentum? I think diverse pipelines need to be established. Um, and the pipeline and, and the way of doing succession plannings need to be done in such a way that the good work is doesn't disappear when that incumbent leader disappears, which is typically what happens. So I think we've got to really have baked into our systems, our, our processes, this diversity of thought where we are looking for and making sure that we bring um, women through. One of the things that I do um, is I have a charity called the Joshua Academy and I go into secondary schools and universities and talk uh, to students um, to inspire them to think about healthcare, think about STEM careers so that we have a pipeline coming through. The reason why I think that's important is because um, we're, we are set for a very disruptive next few years with the Gen Z's entering the workplace who are vocal and the most inclusive generation of our time, who will not work for non-diverse organisations. They are voting with their feet at the moment. And so it's causing a lot of organisations and in the healthcare with all the attrition and, and the numbers of, of, of people leaving because they don't like leaders and because of the generational differences. So I think um, building a pipeline, I think starting from schools and universities, I think, and leveraging this movement for the Gen Zs would be absolutely perfect. That way we know for sure that there'll be a lasting, sustainable, scalable system in place that will stay even when leaders leave. I completely agree about the value of students and working with younger people. I think one of the biggest things that um, prevents people from changing the way things work is kind of the established hierarchy and the kind of safety that's inherent within the, these hierarchical structures, which we have an abundance of in health. It's very difficult to break out of that. Um, and one of the ways that that's been really challenged for me in, in recent, the last couple of years, has been I've been on uh, a master's in healthcare and design at the Royal College of Art. So I think I'm the second or third oldest person on that course. Wow. And the students are um, uh, the students are mostly either clinicians and engineers on one side and the other half are designers or, or mostly under 30. Um, and I have developed incredible relationships, including um, one particular one with um, a lady called Helena Trail, who set up her own design agency at a very young age in her early 20s. Um, and it's just not afraid of taking those sorts of challenges. And that for me, that combination of um, that non-hierarchical, very collaborative way of thinking of approaching things, which I think is is particular to people who come from a more creative background. But actually, as Sylvia says, we are seeing more across the board in all sorts of areas um, with younger people coming through can be felt as a challenge to those of us who are already established. Um, and it, there 
it takes again that those words again bravery and courage to understand how to leverage that for the maximum mm. impact for patients and for people um but when you do it when you take that risk you end up with incredible work really incredible outcomes in fast pace of time that's you know one of the big things i've learned from working in, in industry that is possible but only if you have that non-hierarchical collaborative way of working and you're willing to listen to people that you wouldn't necessarily have thought mm. we have a tendency to look upwards and to think that that's who we need to listen to yes we do that expertise is really important but also there is an incredible amount of learning and understanding to come from my younger peers and people in different sectors to me and again this is something that is really important to me to bring those people into the digital health network because I think we're all better for that we will have more sustainable more diverse digital leadership and innovation leadership really well said yeah and um yeah come to the end of the episode now final question from me we've heard a bit of a taster today but kind of why should any of our listeners who are kind of traveling to Birmingham for summer schools in a couple of weeks why should they attend this session now this is your last chance to big it up without giving too much else away of course oh my gosh so many reasons well number one it's Birmingham why wouldn't you want to come to Birmingham and hang out That's in true. Birmingham <laughs> yeah um, it's a brilliant brilliant experience um having been involved with digital health networks for a long time but only having attended my <laughs> first in, in person summer school last year I can't quite describe the difference that there is when you are in person able to have these conversations. It, it's just a different level of, of connection and, and really exciting things things can happen. Um, it's just it's worth making the effort to get there um, because you won't regret it. It'll, it'll be a really good experience. And I would say, yeah, definitely being from Birmingham myself, why wouldn't you want to come to Birmingham? Uh, that, that's definitely um, a plus. But also as well, if you want to get your finger on the pulse, if you really want to know and be in the heart of digital network, find out what's happening, also be a part of what's going to happen in the future, then um, NHS and the school digital network is the place to be. Well said, yeah. Thank you both. Just a reminder, the session is titled Shaping the Future Women in Digital Healthcare Leadership. It will close summer schools. You could say the best has been saved till last. Uh, so it'll take place on day two of summer schools, Friday the 28th of July, 3.15 until 4. Be chaired by Aisha Rahim. Um, you'll hear more from Sylvia and Leah alongside Asha Cowie and Stacey Hatton. So everyone's welcome. It's certainly worth it. Um, I think it'll be a great way to end what I'm sure will be another successful digital health summer school. So yeah, hopefully this episodes entice listeners into wanting more from that session um thank you Leah and Sylvia for taking the time to come on the podcast see you both at summer schools we're available on all your main audio podcasting platforms thank you very much for listening we're back in just a few days with another episode for you all before we head to Birmingham so look out for that next week until then take care For listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favourite podcast platform. And to find out about our latest news and events, head to our website, digitalhealth.net.